The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Today, I want to go on a search for some hidden truths in the Bible. Proverbs 25.2 sets out the challenge for us. It says it's the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. Join me as I explore something hidden in Scripture that's possibly being unsealed in these last days. Hello, I'm Christine Darig. Are you interested in the rapture of the church, the catching away of believers to be with the Lord Jesus forever? This subject has captivated me for decades because since my youth, I've experienced many dreams about the rapture and the second coming of Jesus. My dreams have depicted the snatching away called the rapture when Jesus comes for us suddenly in the clouds. Today I want to examine one of the concealed types and patterns found in the Levitical Feast of the Lord in the Hebrew Scriptures concerning end-time events and the rapture of the church. Concealed but quite possibly unsealed in this hour. But before we go any further, when I speak of the rapture, I'm referring to the event that's described in the New Testament as the coming of the Lord in the atmosphere to catch away believers who are watching and waiting for Him to appear. By the way, another word for rapture is simply translation. You see, the church will be translated to heaven in the same way that the prophet Elijah was translated out of here, alive in a fiery chariot, or like Enoch in the Old Testament, who was also translated to heaven without dying. Some people say the rapture is a preposterous idea because we're talking of potential millions of persons suddenly vanishing out of sight, whereas the type and shadows of Enoch and Elijah were just lone, single individuals. However, I heard Bible teacher Chuck Missler say that the rapture will be the body, singular, of Messiah. Well, I'm going to share some musings only, and I don't claim this to be dogmatic truths, but rather let's explore some interesting scripture-based ideas. After all, we're living in a time of unprecedented revelation, a time when the prophet Daniel said that many scriptures would be unsealed. In the last chapter of the book of Daniel, chapter 12, Daniel wrote, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Are you among the wise who will understand what's going on? If you've received the Lord, you're already pretty wise and clearly the Bible promised that the wise will understand many revelations that are sealed in the Bible. Right now, as we record this, we're actually in the midst of a countdown 
what the Bible calls counting the Omer. An Omer is a unit of measure of the grain offering between the holidays of Passover and Pentecost. One of my Israeli friends named his son Omer because he was born during the 49 days of the counting of the Omer between the Passover feast of unleavened bread until the Jewish feast of Shavuot. As the Christians know, Pentecost. Well, today Omer is a grown man and he's an Israeli army officer. But he, when he was just a boy, I learned for the first time because of his name, about counting of the Omer, as mentioned in the Bible, although I'd been a believer from my baby crib. Because the church unfortunately divorced itself from its Hebrew roots over the centuries, nobody in the church today knows anything about the counting of the Omer, although Jesus and his disciples surely knew about it. In Hebrew, the counting of the Omer is Sephirot HaOmer, or the day of waving, or the waving of the Omer. The counting, or the waving of the Omer, concerns this period of 49 days, extending from the second day of Passover to the first day of Shavuot, known to us as Pentecost. Altogether, it's seven weeks and 50 days. Thus, Pentecost is named after the word for 50. The first day of counting is called the early first fruits, when sheaves of grain are lifted and waved before the Lord. The final day is called the latter first fruits, where a similar process takes place. The final count day is called Pentecost by Christians and, of course, Shavuot in Scripture. Now, as I said, Shavuot means in Hebrew, weeks, plural, because there are seven weeks between Passover and Shavuot, 49 days are altogether 50. And as I said, Pentecost is based upon the word 50 for 50 days. Shavuot is the holiday when the Holy Spirit was sent to the believers, the day in Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament when the Apostle Peter spoke to all the pilgrims who came to the temple in Jerusalem for the festival. And he explained the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And as I said, Omer accounting is unknown in the churches. Even as we are learning, it's not an easy concept to grasp. But since the 49 days between Passover and Shavuot is a time set apart in Holy Scripture, surely it's a concept worthy of study. During these interim days between Passover and Pentecost, 49 days, the Omer is counted daily among the Jews along with specific scripture readings. So in effect, there's a great countdown, or should we say count up, to Pentecost. To many of us, Omer counting is a totally foreign concept, yet the counting of the Omer has always been in the Bible. I went to the website Judaism 101 and it explains it like this. According to the Torah in Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 15, the Jewish people are obligated to count the days from Passover to Shavuot. Again, this in English is the holiday Shavuot called Pentecost. 
This intervening period is known as the counting of the Omer. An Omer is a unit of measure. On the second day of Passover, in the days of the temple, an Omer of barley was cut down and brought to the temple as an offering. This grain offering was referred to as the Omer. Every night, from the second night of Passover to the night before Shavuot, the Jews recite a blessing and state the count of the Omer in both weeks and days. So, for example, on the 16th day, the Jews would say, Today is 16 days, which is two weeks and two days of the Omer. The counting is intended to remind us, according to this website, Judaism 101, of the days between Passover, which commemorates the Exodus, and Shavuot, which commemorates the giving of the Torah. It reminds us that the redemption from slavery was not complete until we received the Torah. Every night from the second night of Passover to the night before Shavuot, practicing Jews recite a blessing and state the count of the Omer in both weeks and days. Now, over the past decades, believers, followers of Yeshua, and that is his Hebrew name, have been discovering that all of the Levitical feasts of the Lord have deep meanings and fulfillments concerning Messiah. The New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. In a thick book that I read called The Miracle of Time, author Frank L. Payne mentioned something that I've often mused about, but I've never heard anybody preach on it. And that is, by the spirit of revelation, I've been expecting that near the time of the event known as the rapture, there could be a period of time in which those who have died in Christ will be resurrected first, and therefore it's conceivable that they may appear and walk beside those of us who are still alive and remaining on the earth just prior to the rapture. Paul made mention of this, which I'll allude to in a moment. I'm musing about the possibility of a short time span similar to the time in the New Testament when the saints came out of their tombs after the resurrection of Jesus and the New Testament says they appeared to many. Now this is so interesting. When the Lord ascended to heaven on the 40th day, Jesus actually broke the pattern of the counting of the Omer. He, in fact, left nine days uncounted. This is a mystery, and my question, and the question that Mr. Payne raised in his book is, could it be that Jesus left those days for later, for similar conditions on earth? Well, let's look further into this fascinating matter. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, in verse 13, the Apostle Paul refers to the coming of the Lord Jesus with all of the saints. The word coming in New Testament Greek is the parousia, meaning literally the presence of the Lord being alongside of us. Payne's book, The Miracle of Time, poses this fascinating question. If we're at the culmination of church history, surely we should ask whether the Bible holds any clear information 
concerning the order of events when the rapture actually takes place. After all, the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, speaks of resurrections, each in his own order. Paul said in the great resurrection chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, the first fruits from the dead. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Now, secondly, let's look at the fact that the Apostle Paul was given the word of the Lord concerning the rapture or translation of believers in a famous passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I want to underscore something that perhaps you've never noticed before. Paul expressed an undefined space of time between the descent of our Lord and the catching up of believers in the clouds. He said Jesus will come from heaven with a shout and with the trump of God, at which moment the dead in Christ will rise first. Now the King James says the dead in Christ will be raised first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. I checked Weymouth's New Testament translation, which uses the word afterwards. So let's look at Weymouth's translation. It says, the dead in Christ will arise, will arise first. Afterwards, we who are alive and are still on the earth will be caught up in their company amid clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. How much time can elapse between the dead and Christ arising first and afterwards? We who are alive and remain on the earth then will be caught up. Most Bible scholars and believers have assumed that all of these events will happen simultaneously in the twinkling of an eye in a nanosecond. But if there is a pause in that verse, we also know that some pauses in Bible chronology have been quite lengthy. So we have to consider the blessed possibility that for a period of time, however short, possibly, and I have to say possibly, for Yeshua's uncompleted nine days of the counting of the Omer, we who are alive and part of the body of Messiah may perhaps see resurrected saints and the Lord in the same manner that Jesus appeared to his disciples at various times. He walked through walls, appeared and vanished up to 40 days of the counting of the Omer after his resurrection. So turn with me now to a totally fascinating passage, one that I have frequently pondered and yet I've never heard anybody preach on. And that's in Matthew chapter 27, verses 52 to 53, where it says that many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of their graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Imagine what it was like here in Jerusalem at the resurrection of Jesus. There was darkness and the temple veil had already been ripped apart. There had been an earthquake. And it says very clearly that saints arose from their graves and appeared to many. What did they say? What testimony did they give? 
That must have been startling and more than awesome. And from the perspective of counting the Omer, the coming of the Lord in the rapture is the second and still unfulfilled part of the resurrection of Messiah. The first part of his resurrection was perfectly fulfilled when he, the head of the church, was raised up at the beginning of the seven weeks leading up to the Pentecost festival. Upon rising from the dead, one of the first things Jesus did was to wrap up the napkin that had been about his head and he neatly put it aside in the tomb in a place by itself. In Frank Payne's book, The Miracle of Time, he makes a fascinating suggestion that Yeshua's action of folding away the napkin that had been around his head was a prophetic act to signify that he, the head of the church, had finished with death and that the church, which is his body, was figured in the shroud and would come later. The seven weeks to Pentecost were, of course, the harvest season. And the Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, participated year by year in the Levitical feasts, including the Feast of the First Fruits. And that's why, in a very Hebraic way, Paul declared in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that great resurrection chapter, that now is Christ risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of all them that slept. If you don't understand about these holidays, you won't really know what Paul was talking about when he referred to the first fruits. But let's examine this great annual type of the resurrection of the Lord that's pictured in Leviticus chapter 23. Those who have read these verses with understanding have seen that the harvest has special reference to the church, which is the body of Messiah, springing forth from that one grain of wheat, Jesus himself, which fell into the ground and died. The seven weeks to Pentecost begin with a sheaf of the first fruits and end with the bread of the first fruits being waved, that is, ascending upwards to the Lord. The Levitical feasts are no longer a mystery when we know that Jesus, Yeshua, has literally fulfilled Passover and first fruits. Jesus indeed died and fell into the ground as the grain of wheat that he prophesied about in John chapter 12, where he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In resurrection, Jesus, the bread of life, bore much fruit. Why do I say that? Let's go back to the early resurrection morning of the first day of the week that leads up to Pentecost seven weeks later. Let's examine the account as reported by John in chapter 20. As soon as Mary Magdalene recognized the Lord and heard him call her by name, her first instinct was to do what the other women did an hour or so later. They held his feet and worshipped him. But initially, that first encounter with Mary Magdalene, Jesus had a reason that he couldn't allow her to touch him. And he told her why. Don't touch me, he said, because I am not yet ascended to my father. 
You see, he couldn't allow her to touch him then, when just an hour or so later, he does permit the other women to touch him. The reason is that Jesus and those resurrected saints who were raised from the dead after his resurrection were destined to constitute the sheaf of the first fruit harvest, which must be presented to God. God is a harvester. And according to Leviticus 23 and verse 14, it was forbidden for anyone to touch the new harvest until the first sheaf had been offered to God. Furthermore, this holy offering was to be presented in the morning, and without a doubt, Jesus, the bread of life, ascended to his Father at the hour of the morning sacrifice. This hour was the third hour of the day, about nine o'clock in the morning, eight or nine in the morning. It was from this hour of the first fruits presentation to God that the 49-day countdown to Pentecost began to be counted according to the divine instruction in Leviticus 23, which says, Begin to number the seven days from such time as you begin to put the sickle to the corn. And if we fast forward to Pentecost seven weeks later, we know that it was at the same hour at nine o'clock in the morning that the day of the Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was also marked by the descent of the Holy Spirit. Now, going back to resurrection morning, Jesus ascended to his father as the first fruits of a mighty harvest throughout history that will soon be completed. Multitudes of souls are being gathered from every nation on earth. After being presented to the father, Jesus returned to the resurrection garden in time to greet the other women who came to visit his empty tomb. This time he didn't forbid the women to touch him because the weeks of harvest had begun after the first fruits had been presented to the Father. And for 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus appeared from time to time to his disciples, sometimes behind closed doors, sometimes in the open air, and in encounters such as his conversation with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He also met with them on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, where he even cooked and ate breakfast with his disciples. And on more than one occasion, 500 of his followers saw him simultaneously, many of whom were probably interviewed by the Apostle Paul because Paul recorded some of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But let me remind you that by ascending to heaven after 40 days, Jesus broke the counting of the Omer, leaving off mysteriously nine days, so that after only 40 days, he ascended to heaven, leaving his disciples, but they were promised that he would return in like manner as they had seen him depart. The type of the full Omer count has been on hold while Jesus has been absent from the earth. So here's my question. Will the remaining days, adding up to 49, be completed in the future? Well, Frank Payne in his book, The Miracle of Time, suggests that if the type or picture of the harvest is to be fulfilled, nine more days must elapse and be fulfilled when the same conditions of the first 40 post-resurrection days are restored. 
I find his suggestion not only fascinating, but plausible simply because our God is accurate in his types and shadows. And Jesus will for sure fulfill every type and shadow of the Levitical feasts. Well, regardless of when the Bride of Messiah is removed from the earth by translation, redemption chronology on earth is sure to continue centered around the nation of Israel. God will officially return to restore and redeem the nation of Israel for the very last of the last days when the Lord's millennial reign from Jerusalem begins on earth. I know this is much to take in, but it's my hope that you're continually ready for the coming of the Lord and that you're looking into these mysteries about His second coming. It's important to repent of any known sins to be ready for His coming. It's important to live a righteous and holy life in the reverential fear of the Lord. And if you're not sure if you're ready for the second coming, or if you're not sure that you even know the Lord, have the presence of mind now, today, to call upon the world's only Savior, Lord Jesus, Yeshua. The Bible promises that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. By the way, a friend of mine wrote to me that he loves a good mystery and that he said that God certainly has left us one with the breaking of the counting of the Omer. And he said to me, could the final countdown on the Omer transcend the ages? Could it transcend the calendar? Could the final nine days be in fact transcended to the days of awe between a future Rosh Hashanah, that's the Jewish New Year, and Yom Kippur, that's the Day of Atonement. In the fall, instead of the spring, interestingly, both have a nine-day period left. There's so much to ponder in our hearts when we explore the mystery of counting the Omer. The days between the Jewish New Year and Yom Kippur are called the Days of Awe. Well, thank you for spending time with me delving into end time mysteries. Much of eternity will be spent discussing the mystery of the gospel and how the Lord's passion fulfilled all the typologies in the Hebrew scriptures. You can watch this program again anytime on the internet at our website, exploits.tv, where you can also click online to request our free Exploits newsletter. Meanwhile, also, I'd like to take the opportunity to chat with you on the social media. And so until next time, contending for the faith and praying always for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Darg. Shalom. One of my long-held intentions has been to share more Bible insights with you in print. That's why we've just revamped our Exploits magazine by expanding it into a booklet of at least 24 pages. This gives us the opportunity to go into depth on topics that will give you a better understanding of the Bible and hopefully deepen your faith. The Exploits News Magazine is available just for the asking, either in print format or through the internet. To request your free copy, just contact me by phone, letter, email, or through our website. Our toll-free number in the United States is 1-888-245-2692. And in the UK, 
is 0843-557-4077. Thanks to your continued support of the Jerusalem Channel, we can bring you our video teachings and now our new magazine booklet. Have a browse through it and let me know what you think.